Well, one more, the parable of the sheep and the goats. I think I will get time, I will end early enough that our break time will be more elongated than Brother Gibbs thinks, and uh, that will enable you to have a second cup of coffee. Hear then what Scripture says from verse 31 on. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to eat? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Now what shall we do with this parable? Certainly the overwhelming majority of interpreters today see this as a kind of um, mandate for social reformation. One understands why. But at the end of the day, it really turns on understanding expressions like the least of these brothers or something like that to be referring to the disadvantaged in our society. I hasten to add that there are many, many texts that teach believers uh, to be generous toward the disadvantaged, to be very uh, encouraging to the poor, not to badmouth those who are despised, and to be uh, loving and careful to our neighbors. Um, the thing shows up in many ways, of course, not only in prophets like Amos, but Galatians telling us to do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith, and so forth. So I hasten to say that that point is made abundantly often in Scripture and we should never, ever forget it. Christians should be characterized by um, an exemplary, um, modular kind of generosity toward the ill, the suffering, the oppressed, and the dispossessed. Yet at the same time, I have to say that that really badly misunderstands this particular parable. If I had to summarize what this parable says in line with what the other previous texts say, I would put it this way. 
wait for the Lord Jesus as people whose lives are so unselfconsciously transformed by the gospel that they are characterized by self-sacrificing service to brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me repeat. Wait for the Lord Jesus as people whose lives are so unselfconsciously transformed by the gospel. That they are characterized by self-sacrificing service to brothers and sisters in Christ. Across the history of the church, who these brothers are, or brothers and sisters in some translations, have varied quite a lot. Some have suggested that they emblemize only the apostles. Others, all who are hungry, needy, and distressed. Some of eschatological, peculiar, eschatologically peculiar interpretations think it is the Jews who have been converted during the tribulation. The nations are converted Gentiles, and many, many, many others. But much better, in fact, to try to understand what Adelphos means in Matthew and what least of these means in Matthew. And then it seems to me the answer is pretty tight. Occasionally, brother, Adelphos, in Greek, simply means a literal sibling. But then you find passages like this, end of Matthew 12. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And something of the same order is found um, at the end of chapter 13. Moreover, the expression, the least of these and so on, quite tightly gets tied to um, Jesus' followers. In Matthew chapter 11, in a remarkable passage, Matthew chapter 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, but whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And the least in the kingdom of heaven there is, is anyone who is truly his disciple. It's, it's, it's transparent in the context. So the least of language refers to those who are his disciples in any sense at all. And the brothers and sisters in Christ, when it's not in a literal sense, clearly also refers to disciples. So why is that important here? Well, notice too that although this is in some sense a parable, it's viewing people as sheep and goats and so on, it is clearly a parable about the Lord Jesus when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So it's a parable about the Lord Jesus who is coming at the end of the age. That's tying this together with the rest of Matthew 24 and 25. This is the eschatological discourse, what takes place at the end. And then likewise, although it's the Son of Man who is referred to in verse 31, in verse 40, he is picked up as the King. 
So although in the parables of the kingdom, most often the king is viewed as God himself, sometimes in the parables of the kingdom, the king is understood to be King Jesus. Um, and that is unambiguously the case here in this particular parable. So the question really becomes in the first instance, why is it that when something is done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, it's really being done for Jesus? And the second question is, why are both parties, that is those who do do these good things and those who don't do these things surprised? Well, in terms of the first alignment, you have to remember in the first place how often Jesus <coughs> excuse me, does associate himself with those who are his. Um, thus, most tellingly, perhaps, to Saul, also called Paul, on the Damascus Road, when Saul sees this blinding light and hears the voice from heaven, the voice does not say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? For the church is his body on earth, and inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it unto me. And that sort of thing is taught in less dramatic but equally clear modes. The one who receives you receives me. The one who rejects you receives me. That's already been made clear in Matthew. It's made clear in Matthew chapter 10 in the mission sending passage. It shows up elsewhere in Luke as we've already seen too in Luke chapter 10 and elsewhere. This is common teaching of Jesus. In other words, where we see Jesus' brothers and sisters, that is our fellow Christians, suffering under oppression or poverty or illness, whether they are thirsty or hungry or naked or oppressed or imprisoned, Christ's sheep, his own people, will be the ones who are trying to sort them out, give them something to eat, give them something to drink, and so on and so on. And they are not doing so because they are saying to themselves, Ooh, boy, now I can earn some extra brownie points with a master. Yes. After all, now this means that if I do it unto these people, I will be doing it unto Jesus, and therefore I will be amongst the sheep on the last day. That's simply not why they do it. And, 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 and all you have to do is, is live for a while amongst oppressed or poor Christians to observe that that's the case. They do it just because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's, that's why they do it. They're not asking what is, in it, what, what, what is in it for them. They recognize themselves as part of this family, the family of the persecuted, the family of the oppressed, the, 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 the family of the poor. If this seems a bit alien to your experience here, believe me, um, I'm, every two years or so, I'm on every continent of the globe except Antarctica. And, and, and when you visit brothers and sisters in Christ in, in, in surprising corners of the earth, it is easy to find much, much, much suffering. When I was recently in South Africa, yes, I spoke in some large white churches in Cape Town, but I insisted also on spending time in Soweto with black and colored churches. That's, those are the labels they give themselves. And then you, 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 you discover another whole order of social structure and so on amongst those who are genuinely Christians, do you see, to this day. 
And likewise, I recently came back from the Middle East, from parts that shall not be mentioned, where I met many Christians who had been beaten up and imprisoned and so on for their faith. And, and how other Christians react to them and respond to them is, 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 is part of what identifies them as Christians, do you see? It's not the surrounding hosts that are giving these people an easy time, that are providing food for them or getting them out of jail or, or meeting their fiscal needs or anything like that. It's, it's Christians. And they're not doing so in some sort of frame of reference in which they are securing brownie points to appease an angry God. Um, they are doing so because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what the family does. So even they are a bit surprised on the last day to hear, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. They are unselfconsciously doing it. They are waiting in such a way that their lives are unselfconsciously transformed to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you see? And conversely, those who are not helping out brothers and sisters in Christ are not doing so, not because they um, see that there is a connection with Jesus and want to um, um, put their fingers in his eye. They, they don't see the connection at all. From their point of view, these are just uh, ugly people, they're difficult people, they're not conforming people, they're socially unacceptable people, without seeing that, that they are actually doing damage to Christ. They are wounding Christ. And so they too are surprised, for very different reasons, but they too are surprised. Whereas the kind of waiting that is supposed to go on here is this. Wait for the Lord Jesus as people whose lives are so unselfconsciously transformed by the gospel that they are characterized by self-sacrificial service to brothers and sisters in Christ. Now there are other things that we could pull out of these parables. But here too, there is ultimately, as we saw earlier in Luke, there are ultimately absolute alternatives. Eternal punishment, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in these parables, and over here the righteous to eternal life, to an eternal blessedness that belongs to God. These things are way beyond a horizon that is limited by our threescore years and ten. All of this turns, it seems to me, on parables like this, hardening the hearts of those who do not understand, those who do not see, those who do not uh, um, uh, uh, have a real grasp of where the gospel and Christ fits into all of this. People are already hardened against them. These parables do not help such people. They harden them in their obtuseness. But those with eyes to see, those who have already been given much, are unable to see more clearly. They are pictures and windows that open up explanations, even explanations of Old Testament realities, treasures new and old, drawn from Old Testament promises and anticipation about what the kingdom will be like, to explain things new and real and wonderful that were already there in antecedent scripture, but that are now coming to fruition in the Lord Jesus himself. Well, you have been very patient during this time. I think we now have an extended break before we come back and have panel. Is that right, Mr. Chairman? Okay.